Good afternoon. Welcome to Revelation Bible Study. We are in chapter 5. Last two weeks, I believe it's the last two weeks, we was in chapter 4. Chapter 4 is uh, an image or what John saw in the throne room. Chapter 5 is continuing on in the throne room, but it is centered around one particular event. John has focused on on who sits on the throne, and he's focused on what is being held by the one who sits on the throne. And we'll get into chapter 5, but first let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity once again to come into your house to worship, to praise, to honor your name. Lord, we ask that you'll touch and that you'll move, Lord, that you'll anoint my lips as I endeavor to bring forth your message, that you'll anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive, God, that you'll open up our eyes of understanding so that we can better understand what you would have us to understand, and Lord, so that we will be able to remember, Lord, what we've studied, what we've read, Lord, so that we'll recognize at that appropriate time when this all occurs. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. Chapter 5, verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. Now, King James uses the word book, but it is not a book as we would what as we would recognize it. Every verse but one in chapter five starts with the word and. That's a coordinating conjunction. But the word is used to connect phrases, words, clauses, or prefixes together. In a contract or a list, when the word and is used, the phrases or sentences before the word and the sentences after the word must be complied with. It is not optional. In chapter 5, we see it is a list. It will occur one after another. One cannot occur without the other occurring before it. John first describes the book that God is holding in his dominant and power hand, his right hand. Because it is in his right hand, it represents his authority, his power, his might, but also his dominance and his wrath. A book or a scroll sealed with seven seals written on front and back. This is not a book as we know it today. It was a scroll or what we would call a scroll. If a scroll was sealed with a seal of a king, only those with authority and power would be allowed to unseal it, roll it out, and even read it. Anyone else doing this was put to death immediately. This scroll was written on both sides, front and back, which was not normal for that time period. They didn't use the back side of the scroll. That's where your hands would be. You would smear the writing, if it were. The scroll was written on both sides because it wanted, it had a lot of information in it. 
it was a scroll was normally just written though on the inside so that when it's rolled up the information written on it would be protected. This scroll with both sides filled up was showing John that there would be no more space, aka time. The scroll was filled and had been finished. Nothing else would need to be written or said. The scroll was sealed in such a fashion that each seal must be broken one at a time to be able to completely unroll the scroll. Ezekiel 2 verses 9 and 10 tells us and shows us of a scroll like this. And when I looked, behold, a hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein. And he spread it before me. It was written within and without, and there was written therein lamentations, mourning, and woe. Now that was the scroll that Ezekiel saw. Guess what? It's the same scroll. So Ezekiel is telling us that the words that are on the scroll is lamentations, mourning, and woe. We will get into the opening of the scroll in chapter 6. This chapter 5 sets the tone, sets the, the description, gives you the backstory, if you will. So John's focused on the scroll or on this book that's in God's right hand. And he's seeing that it's it's different, it's unusual. He's seeing that it's written both on the inside and on the outside. So there's a lot of information contained on the scroll, but it was done that way symbolically to tell us nothing else needs to be done. Verse 2 says, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? A strong and commanding angel is now looking for someone, anyone who is worthy to open the scroll. This individual must have the power and authority to open the king's commands and be allowed to read the king's proclamations. Anyone that attempted this and was not authorized could and would be killed. It did not matter who they were. Revelations 10 and 1 tells us of another strong angel, and I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as if it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. We will get to that verse in the future, if the Lord tarries. Also in Revelation 18 and 21, and a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone, and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence... Shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all? Again, we will also get into that verse in the future, the good Lord tarries. There's 20 times in the book of Revelation and the chapters are the, in the chapters of the book of Revelation that a loud voice would be heard 20 times. And the final time was Revelation 21. The Greek word for scroll here is biblion, from which our word Bible is derived from. It was and is the word of God. So it is indeed the Bible. What God is holding is his words. It's his proclamation. It's his judgment on the earth. We know that because we've read through the book and we've read the last page of the book. We know who wins this. But until we get to the very last page, we're going to study it one verse at a time 
until we get to the end, and hopefully at the end we'll have a better understanding of what Revelation is trying to teach us. Again, like I said, the very first class we ever had here on this chapter, on the book of Revelation, you're not going to know all the answers. No one does. Not even Jesus. God knows all the answers. He is the only one. Because in the book of Revelation, Jesus is called and told to come and get us, but he doesn't know when that's going to happen. God knows. So when as we go through this, there it's going to open up a, a plethora of questions. And it's supposed to. The book of Revelation was written so that you would recognize it when it actually occurs. We are now in our future. Books, chapters 1 through 4, well actually chapters 1 through 3 or so, is John's past, John's present, and John's future. Books, one or chapters 1 through 4 are our past. We are now in our, well chapter 4 is our our future as well. We are now in our future. How far into the future we are, no one knows. We don't know when this scene will take place in heaven. But we know that it will take place. Verse 3, And no man in heaven and on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And no man in heaven, nor in earth or under the earth. Unfortunately, no one in heaven... No one on earth is worthy to open the scroll. No angel, no man living, no man dead can open the book. No one has the power and authority. But not only did we not have the power and authority to open the scroll, we don't even have the right to look at this book. In ourselves, we do not have the power nor do we possess the righteousness to even look on the words of God. Our righteousness, Isaiah 64 and 6 tells us, are but filthy rags. We are not in ourselves good enough to even look on the scroll, much less occupy space in heaven. We can't do it. It's impossible for us to be able to do this. And right now there is no one that's stepping up saying, hey, I've got the power, I've got the authority that I can open this book. No one. Verse 4, And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. John begins to weep. That means more than just cry. John was sobbing. He was brokenhearted. He was troubled. He knew no one was worthy to read, to open, to hold this book. He realizes that the works of man's hands are not sufficient. He probably remembers times in his own life that he thought himself better than some. And now he realizes how wretched, poor, naked, and miserable we all are. The richest man in the world ever at that time, and possibly still, King Solomon was not worthy to open this book. The wisest man in the world was not worthy to open this book. His wealth bought him no favors. His wisdom granted him no favors. The martyrs that had died 
just recently, within even John's lifetime. Men like Stephen, who was stoned. And the scriptures tells us that he looked up and he saw the face of God and he just kind of laid down and went to sleep. Men like Stephen was not worthy of the honor of opening the scroll. No one, no one in the history of the world, mankind, humans, was worthy of opening the scroll. If there's aliens, they're not worthy to open the scroll. Jesus Christ's own mother, Mary, who was blessed above all women, was not found worthy enough to open the scroll or even look upon it. Romans 7 and 24 says, O wretched man that I am, without no one being able to open the scroll, the words of the king, the law of the Lamb, would be unfulfilled. John knew, even if this was God's wrath and vengeance, that the scroll needed and had to be read. So he's weeping, he's sobbing, because no one is worthy. Some will tell you that he was crying because he was found not to be worthy. I don't think John ever had the desire to be worthy to open the scroll. I don't think John ever had the thought that he was worthy. But I do believe that there were times when he actually thought he was better than some. As he's crying, we see in verse 5, And one of the elders says unto him, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Weep not, John, one of the elders from around the throne of God told him. There is one who is able. There is one who paid for the privilege of opening the seals and reading from the scroll. But his price was not money. It wasn't great wealth that he used to purchase this right. This honor was to be able to, the honor to be able to read from the scroll. It was more precious than all the silver and gold. His obedience to the salvation plan and his shedding the blood for all who will believe has garnered him that right and authority. Jesus who died on the cross of Calvary is the only one who is worthy to take the scroll, open the seven seals, and read the words of the Father. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all of the earth. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb who was slain, for all who believed come to a forgiving time. He who allowed himself to die in the place of mankind, so mankind could live. It was this one who has been given the power and authority to take the scroll, open the seals, and read aloud from the roll. In Isaiah 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 1, we read, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. From Genesis 49, verses 9 and 10, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched like a lion. And as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? 
The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. He died. He is the only individual to ever be born that was born to die. I want to pause there and let you think about that for a second. We were not born to die. We were born to live. Christ was born to die. He's the only one in the history of the world and even into the future of the world. See, we have a chance to live eternally with God, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. If we accept what he did for us on the cross, we have that option. We are born to live in heaven. Christ came for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was the cross of Calvary. He was born to die. We read from Revelation 22 and verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. So John sees Christ as a lamb, but he was introduced as a lion. The lamb represents his first coming, born as a baby, and dying for our sins on the cross of Calvary. Isaiah 53 verse 7 states, He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. Interesting fact, a little side note. This is free for you. This is the only place in Revelation where Jesus is described as a lion, though. But the word lamb is found over 20 times. His first coming as a baby, dying for our sins. That's what the lamb represents. The lion represents his second coming the one we are all waiting on. As repentance for their sins, the people would bring an animal sacrifice, but the animal sacrifice, it was not permanent. It was only temporary. The next year, another sacrifice of another dove, calf, lamb, without spot or blemish. Christ became our permanent sacrifice. Now, interesting vision that John has, and he's looking as in the spirit, he's looking on all of these events, he's seeing them as they're about to take place. But how was it that the lamb was described? The lamb was described as having seven horns and seven eyes. Now, I've been around sheep before in my life, never seen one with multiple eyes and never seen one with multiple horns. What does this represent? Why would the sheep, why would God, why would Jesus, God the Son, have seven horns and seven eyes? This lamb had seven horns. A horn represents strength. 1 Kings 22 and 11 says, And Zedekiah the son of Shizaniah, had made horns of iron, and he said, Thus saith the Lord, with thee shalt thou push the Syrians until thou have consumed them. So horns represented the strength. Seven is the complete number for God. So this lamb had total strength 
complete strength over his foes and his friends alike. We're going to look a little bit later on in the book of Revelation. We're going to see that the beast has ten horns. So he's more powerful than the lamb. No. We'll discuss that when we get to it. But there is a reason. Seven is the complete number. The horns of the beast or man also represents the strength of that ruler. In Daniel 7 and 24, and the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. And another shall arise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. Revelation 13 and 1, and I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the names of blasphemy. So we will get into the beast. We will get into the multiple horns later, but understand that the lamb had the perfect number, seven. He has total power. He has total victory over his foes and enemies. This verse, verse six, Revelation chapter five, we see some more of the self-revealing prophecy since the verse tells us that the seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, since sent forth over all the earth. Seven spirits of God. Those were the characteristics of God. And if I could find it real quick, I would reread that. But it is, uh, and maybe I'll find it here at the end. We won't take time to look for it. Verse 7, and he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that stood on the throne, the lamb, the lion of Judah, Jesus, the son, God, the son, went up to God, the father and took the book. He didn't have to ask permission. He didn't have to ask God the Father, can I see the book, Dad? No, he walked up because he knew he had the authority. And he took the book from the right hand. The lamb who was slain for all of mankind's sins came up to God and removed the book from his hand. Jesus, the slain lamb, is the only one who's worthy to look, to hold, and to read the scroll other than God the Father. God had the scroll rolled up and sealed for such a moment, for such a time as this. Jesus was worthy because he paid the price, the ultimate price. He was going to break the seals and unroll the scroll. God was worthy but he reserved this moment for Jesus. This honor was all his and his alone. Daniel 7 and 9 describes God, the Ancient of Days, sitting on his throne. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did it, did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool, his throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. Daniel 7 and 13 and 14 
The events following Christ taking the scroll are recorded. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. He's worthy to take this book. He's worthy to read this book. He's worthy to open this book. And he's worthy because of what he did on the cross of Calvary. We, we talk a lot about the cross of Calvary. It's not the cross, but it's the actions on the cross. He was obedient to the plan of salvation. That plan of salvation was the ultimate sacrifice so that our sins could be covered, could be washed away, could be erased, could be blotted out, however you want to say it. And he was obedient to that without ever faltering, without ever stumbling, and without ever questioning. You say, oh, wait, wait, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he questioned. He said, oh, let this cup pass from me. But then he said, but not my will, but thine be done. The Jesus, the man, did not want to go through what he knew he was going to have to go through. Jesus, the God, said, I'm yours, Father. Do as you will. We need to get to that place in our life. We need to get to that point where we're, we're obedient to God, no matter what he tells us. Verse 8, when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. The twenty-four elders of the four beasts, or seraphim, now worship Christ. Each of the elders had a harp to play on and a vial that contained the prayers of the saints. The vials are often translated in other versions as bowls of incense, which represent the prayers of the saints. In Psalms 141 verse 2 says, Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense. And the lifting up of my hands is the evening sacrifice. David realized that his prayers, if he was praying correctly, would please God as incense being burnt can please us. The sweet smell of the incense covered the stench of sin. The harp a lyre or a tr- and a trumpet are the only musical instruments to be mentioned in Revelation. So we, King James had it translated as harps. It was actually what David played as a lyre, a stringed instrument, but not as we would call it us a harp. Verse nine, and they sung a new song. They sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. This song 
It's never been sunk. Never. Because this event has not occurred yet. Not physically. However, the song will be sung because Christ was slain for our sins. He is the only Redeemer. Because of his obedience to the cross, he made himself worthy of this honor. Eventually, this event will occur just as John the Revelator seen it and has wrote about it. However, man, who is still on earth, will not be privy to these events. This will all take place in heaven prior to Christ's second coming. The people who were saved who have passed away, or as they say, gone by the way of the grave, will be able to see this event. It is the four and twenty elders, the twenty-four elders, the four beasts, and the angels who begin this song. Notice that they begin to sing this song. But it is the redeemed of the Lord who lift up their voice in a chorus of thousands that alone sing, hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue, people, and nation. Mankind, who was redeemed only by the shedding of the blood of Jesus, is allowed to sing these words. This is not the four and twenty elders. This is not the angels. This is not the seraphims. Has redeemed us. We are singing. Those that are in heaven when this event takes place. They alone are singing these words. Because it is only mankind that has been redeemed. That required redeeming. That Christ died for. That realizes that without Christ they would not even be there. Their voices and their portion of the new song also represents those that will soon join them in worship around the throne. That's you and I. Or I should say it's those that are still on the earth when this event takes place. Because we don't know. We may not be on the earth. We may be one of the voices up there. Within a short time, the rapture will take place and those already in heaven will gladly meet and be happily met by those that are on earth still waiting for their trip to heaven. The rapture will take place shortly after this event. Now, some will tell you that the rapture has taken place at this time, and that's okay. I don't have a problem with that either. Because you see, what's about to take place in chapter 6 is the opening of the seals and the pouring out of God's wrath. So, yes, I, I hope that the rapture of the church has taken place at this time. There is three schools of thought. The rapture will take place prior to tribulation. In the middle of tribulation, or sometime into tribulation, and at the end of tribulation. I'm okay with the first two. I don't have a problem with either one of those. I sure hope those that are after the tribulation, I hope they're wrong, because I do not want to go through what's going to take place on this earth. I'm, I'm a wimp. I'll be honest with you. I am a wimp. 
So you want to believe that the tribulation is, or the rapture is pre-tribulation? Go for it. I hope you're right. If you want to believe that the rapture is sometime into the tribulation, great, wonderful. It's not going to be, we're not going to see the bad stuff. But those of us that believe, or those of you that believe that the rapture is going to take place at the, after the tribulation, man, I hope you're reading it wrong. I really do, and I think you do too. But within a short time, either at this moment or real soon afterwards, the rapture is going to take place after this event, after the book is opened. And we all get to go to heaven. The Bible tells us the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then in the twinkling, in the moment of an eye, we'll rise up and meet them. We will rise up. We will meet him in the air. See, his, the next time Christ comes, he doesn't stand on this earth. We go to meet him in the air. Then after a period of time, he comes and sets up his throne. He sets up his kingdom. We'll discuss that in the future in the study of Revelation. Verse 10. And has made us unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. Again, the people who are redeemed. Again, take up the song and sing. The words that only they could sing and understand. The angels, the, the four beasts, the 24 elders, they're silent. They're listening in awe. They were not redeemed. They didn't have to be. They did not require repentance. They did not have to accept the actions of Christ on the cross. Only the people did. So only people can understand the feeling of salvation. The feeling of mercy. The feeling of grace. Heaven's celestial hosts are silent during this time. Looking at the people and listening to their worship. A worship that can only come from a healed soul. We was talking earlier about the seven eyes representing the seven spirits. We find that in Isaiah 11, 2 and verses 3. 11, verses 2 and 3. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom. Understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord shall make him quick understanding. In the fear of the Lord. The seven spirits of God represents the seven characteristics of the spirit. Spirit of wisdom. Spirit of understanding. Spirit of counsel. Spirit of might. Spirit of knowledge. The fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. Quick understanding. And the fear of the Lord. Those are the seven characteristics. The seven spirits. And yes, while I was reading, I was looking also and found, found that. 
So it's great having, you know, compartmentalized minds, brains. I can multitask at times. Verse 11, and I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 10 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Over a 100,000 angels. Not exactly what John was telling us. Now the celestial hosts are speaking all at one time in a thunderous sound, but it's audible. We can understand what they are doing. They are praising God. They're praising Christ. There were so many there that John could not count them. In his culture, there was no infinite, infinite number. There is no time when the number represents infinity. John's verbiage, there was no words to describe the multitude. So he does the only thing he can to describe it. He uses words that describe beyond a thousand. There was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, which means that there were groups, there were large groups just all over heaven and they're all speaking. What were they speaking? What were they saying? Verse 12, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. He's worthy to receive the power, the riches, the wisdom, the strength, the honor, the glory and the blessings. It is in this verse we understand that the song has ended. The discourse or the discussion, the, the verbal communication, the talking has begun. The angels, the four beasts, the elders are now praising Christ who was slain and received the power, wisdom, riches, strength, honor, glory, and blessings all because he was obedient to the death on the cross. And every creature, every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessings and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. All nature, all creation worships Christ and God the Father at the scene that has just taken place. All creation knows that the time is drawing closer and soon time will be no more. Because of God's righteousness, in Christ's mercy, everything, no matter where it is at, worships the Father and the Son. All of nature is involved. All of nature is crying out the, the, the worship, the praise, the adoration of Christ. 
and the Father. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. At the end of the praise, the four beasts exclaimed, Amen. Let it be so. And the elders fall down and worship Christ and God. The scene of heaven, with all its beauty and majesty, has set the stage for the next events. I'm sure that John could feel the expediency and the transition to something else. He, I don't believe, understood what was about to happen. But he realized that it had turned, made a transition, if you will, and was indeed building to that climax. That ends chapter 5. We're not going to get into chapter 6 tonight. We will get into chapter 6 next week with the opening of the scroll, the opening of the loosening of the first seal and the second seal and the third seal and on and on and on. Welcome to tribulation. Chapter 6 begins tribulation. Up until now, it has set the stage. It has set the scene. Now we're getting into why people fear the book of Revelation. But I'm here to tell you, we don't need to fear Revelation. We need to read Revelation so that we are blessed by Revelation. We need to read it with an open understanding that we ask God to deliver to us. Yes, as I've said multiple times throughout this, I think this is the 15th week of the study. And we have just completed chapter 5. And hey, this is the first night we've ever actually completed one chapter in one night, in one week. But as I've said multiple times, you're not going to have all of the answers. You're not going to know who the Antichrist is, who the false prophet is, where the beast is at. You're not going to understand any of that. Because it's not meant for you to understand. You're not going to know that the end of times is whatever day. Because we will never understand that until it happens. So if you go to a church that's telling you that the end of times is going to happen and they give you a date, please get up and walk away because that's not of God. That's false prophet. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. A friend of mine requested prayer this afternoon through a text for his niece who has shingles. So remember Linda in your prayers. Remember my friend Ronald in your prayers. Our son-in-law requests prayer. He did not tell me what those prayer requests was for, but God knows all about them. I don't have to worry. I see that uh, Barbara Evans is on, and we're going to pray for your family sister as well. If you have a prayer request, you know, you found me on Facebook, you can find me again, send in your prayer request. We'll pray with them and for them. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you this day. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity once again to come into your house. Lord, you've, you know this the needs of the people. Lord, you know that the pain of the shingles, Lord, and Lord, we know that by your stripes we are healed. We know that you can take away these shingles. We know 
that you can take away the illness. We know that you can take away the pain. God, that we, we know that you can touch and that you can move, that you can work miracles on the lives of those that, Lord, are financially in trouble, Lord, that are spiritually in trouble, Lord, that have physical problems, that have marital problems, Lord. We know that you are more than able and more than capable of answering these needs and answering these prayers. Lord, we ask that you'll stretch forth your hand on family members, Lord, that you'll touch Sister Barbara Evans' family, Lord, that you'll continue to bless her. And Lord, what a blessing she has been to myself and my family. Lord, we ask that you'll continue, Lord, to move on her. And Lord, continue to move on her children, her grandchildren, her nieces, her nephews. Lord, we ask that you'll stretch forth your hand on the churches, Lord, that are teaching and preaching and and doing what you have called them to do, that you will let them grow, Lord, not for the number's sake, but for each number represents a soul. Lord, we ask that you'll enlarge our territory so that your word can be heard throughout the land, not our voices, but your word. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. Come back. And be with us next Thursday at 7. As I said, we will we will start into the tribulation period. And it's going to get exciting, to say the least. Until we meet again, take care of each other.